before we get there, if you could summarize the reason for your existence in one sentence, what would it be? What is your purpose? Why are you here? Do you know? If you could summarize the reason for your existence in one sentence, what would it be? Peter's about three months away from being crucified when he writes this letter, and the people he's writing to could potentially meet the same fate soon, because Emperor Nero authorized the burning down of sections of Rome to be uh, able to build newer and better looking stuff, but the Romans didn't like that. Like, that's their homes, that's their businesses. So uh, they got really upset, and he blames everybody but himself. He blames the Christians, and he made them pay with their lives. Knowing this, what does someone like this need to read? What would you write to them? What would you write to the believers who are going through persecution like this? What would you want to read? I've grown quite a list of my own personal pet peeves, and I know that that's all that this is. Um, it's not a stance of Mission Church by any means, um, but I always cringe just a little bit when somebody uh, tells me to let go and let God. First of all, it's not grammatically correct, but secondly, uh, I'm in, if I'm in fear of being martyred for my faith and somebody sends me a letter that says let go and let God, I'm going to send back a strongly worded letter in return. I'll give you something to let go of. Um, in all seriousness, like I don't hate every version of that saying. Like I've heard it explained uh, and said really well sometimes. Um, but the truth is, we don't need quippy tweets of feel-good theology. We need the truth. We need the truth that God has already so graciously given to us. These men and women needed something of substance. They needed to be reminded of their true purpose. Because the truth, as we know it, they don't know it yet. Maybe they don't. They might not be alive tomorrow. They might not make it through the night. What is their purpose? They need to be reminded of their true purpose. So with this in mind, let's read 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray that you would, in this time, remove any distraction that we have. That you would uh, remove any stress that we have going on at home, in life. That you would just show us your word and that by it, by your word alone, through your spirit, we will be changed. 
Would you not let us walk out the doors without you doing surgery on our hardened hearts by your word, God? Would you change us? Would you grow us? It is only a work that you can do. Because in it, just like your text says, only you get the glory. So would you do that, Father, please? And in this time, God, if there is anything that I say that, um, that is not of your word, that is not an oracle of you, I pray that you would uh, either stop me from saying it as I'm reading or um, if I go off on any tangent, that you would stop me. Or if I do end up saying anything that is counter your word, that you would make us all forget it. God, please humble all of us in this room to be able to receive your word. And help us to pray in this time for, for each other, for our own selves. In all of this, God, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory because we know as we sit here right now, as we are in this room, we know that you are working in the lives and hearts of us. And so we thank you and we ask for more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The whole reason we exist, the whole reason that you and I are alive is to glorify God in everything. To glorify God means to literally place glory and honor in the hands of the one true God who deserves it all. So it doesn't necessarily mean that as you do an action, you say, oh, glory to God, glory to God. Like You do not have to have that some of the most glorifying acts, nobody said, I'm giving glory to God. <clears throat> but it means to literally place glory and honor in the hands of the one true God who deserves it all. So literally, all it is, is the actions and thoughts and deeds that we have are putting God in his glorified place and saying, God, you are the Lord of all. You are my king, and all of my actions will show that. This is what we were designed for. When we act and live in this way, we see a glimpse of what it was supposed to be like in the garden and what it will one day be like in heaven forever. Glorifying God, all of us, and enjoying the glory. Our issue is that we fall short of the glory of God in everything. The gap between living in our designed purpose as believers and living in sin is as big as the gap between what we glorify why are we here? What is our purpose here on earth as believers in everything? We glorify God. This is of first importance in the kingdom of God, not our salvation. Not that people are going to hell if they do not hear the gospel. Not, if, not that we are supposed to do any signs and wonders here on earth. Our main purpose, our main life focus is to glorify God in everything. Now please understand, what we read in our text are not commands to follow to fix the human problem of sin. We cannot unstain our, lives with <clears throat> unstain our lives of sin with good deeds. We cannot earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves us. We contribute nothing to salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Our sin offends a purely righteous and glorious God, and so we are utterly powerless on our own to get into the kingdom. At the day of judgment, we will either be covered in the precious blood of Jesus that the wrath of God may pass over us and be placed on him, or we stand on our own. Instead, what this is for us, this purpose is what we should see in our lives. 
How can we glorify God in everything? This is for believers. How can we glorify God in everything? We see four ways in our text. And these are, again, this is the fruit of the saved life. This is the fruit of the, I'm living in the victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the fruit of that life. It is not a, we do these things to be saved. So there are four ways that we see in our text. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Love one another earnestly. Show hospitality without grumbling and serve one another. These are all in the text, but if you, the first is be self-controlled and sober-minded. Love one another earnestly. Show hospitality without grumbling and serve one another. Let's take a look at the first one. Look at verse seven again. The end of all things is at hand. This is the big clue to the whole passage. The end of all things is at hand. This is the doctrine of the already and the not yet. In the gospel, we are already new people, but we still need to renew our minds. In the gospel, Jesus freed us decisively from sin already. That has already happened, but we still need to put the old man and woman to death. Christ already brought the kingdom of God to earth, and yet the earth awaits the fullness of it. Why is this important for us to know? The already not yet doctrine helps us make sense of the Christian life because it helps us to wrestle with the tension. The tension that we feel and the sin that we have and the desire for it to just all be over. We live in the present age of sin and death, but the end of all things is at hand. It's coming. It's close. It could come in the next minute. This helps us to live for what truly matters, the higher worth of God's glory. Why? Why is that true? If we knew that when we woke up tomorrow, we would see Jesus, would it not affect the rest of today? Martin Luther said this, Christ designed that the day of his coming should be hid from us, that being in suspense, we might be, as it were, upon the watch. The text goes on. Therefore, since this is true that the present kingdom is ending and the next one is imminent, it's almost here, we live for what truly matters, God's glory. How do we do that? Be self-controlled and sober-minded. The original Greek word for self-controlled here is uh, to be sane. The idea is to be in our right mind, to think of ourselves, to think of life soberly. Thinking soberly is glorifying to God because it should lead to a higher view of God than everything. The most sober thought is that God is glorious and everything else is not. But it's also important because of the rest of the verse, if you keep reading. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, <clears throat> be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Do you wish that you prayed more? If we saw ourselves soberly, as utterly sinful in and of ourselves, we would pray more. We would recognize how utterly weak we are and would bull rush the throne room of grace for help. Having a sane and sober mind really only just puts glory in the proper place. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I played soccer in high school. I was the goalie, and I was so arrogant. 
I think of things that I used to say to people. Number one, it makes me laugh, but number two, it just makes me cringe. Um, but I talk so much trash to so many people, and sometimes it was legit. Like, sometimes I was just better than another player. Like, that's just, that's going to happen. Um, but uh, one time, it was before a game, I was talking trash with some other guys that were on the other team, and um, and one thing that I like to say, I like to get under people's skin a lot. So the one thing that I said was like, good luck getting anything past me, ladies. Um, we were playing dudes, but, you know, I just called them that. Uh, this is an example of the opposite of sober-minded, like thinking of yourself soberly. Uh, they went out and scored on me six times. So <laughs> they, they put a few past me. But uh, the question remains, like, do you have a sober mind? Do you see yourself as powerless without grace? Who are you seeking to glorify and is it God? Point two, love one another. Look at verse eight. Above all, Peter says, above all of the things that I have said previously for you to do or act as, this is the absolute most important. Above all of these things, Keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly comes from the Greek word ektenis, which is a medical term describing the stretching of a muscle to its limits. In Greek athletics, it described a runner straining and stretching to the limit in order to win the race. Doing all of that in order to love others. It is a choice. It is sacrificial. It has no conditions or reasons. And the truth is, people will say things about us that bring us to tears. We will be misunderstood and gossiped about. We will experience terrible acts and words against us, sometimes by the ones we love most, sometimes by church members, sometimes by friends. What's our response? Love. These, women, these men and women are being sought out to be killed by their government the people you're supposed to be able to trust. And they've been exiled into a foreign land and Peter writes them and says, love one another earnestly. Why? Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. And here's the, here's the purpose of this love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is more God-glorifying than loving each other so well that when the unsaved people do see Mission Church, they see love. They see the love of the Father. Loving each other is not going to be easy. It is a stretch for a reason, but it's not about us. It's about the two things more important than us, God and other people. It is undeserved, it is unmerited, and yet when people see our love, they see our Savior. Because who else shows divine love? Why? The verse goes on. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, Love covers sins sometimes by not seeing them. For where there is much love, we are blind to many faults, which otherwise we might see. 
we do not exercise the sharpness of criticism which malice would be sure to exercise. If I have much love for others, I may be the instrument in the hand of God for covering many of their sins by overlooking and forgetting all of them if possible. Our back bedroom is supposed to be the new baby, baby, new, the new baby, the new baby nursery. Um, but we've been cleaning that thing out like a couple of slots. It has been a slow process. Um, we need to move the bed out. We need to move the desk out, a big dresser, clean out the closet. But one day, whew, I had just had enough of that room. Um, I had a moment or two or a few hours um, of anger, and it was over something I don't even remember. Like, that's the, that's the thing. I don't remember what I was angry about. I remember what I did in anger. Um, I went to the back bedroom, and I decided that I was going to take that bed out if it was the last thing I did. So I grabbed the mountain of laundry and threw it off, almost threw my arm out, um, <laughs> threw all the, all the baby stuff that was on the bed. I threw that out. I took the sheets off, and I lifted up the bed. I'm like, I'm getting this out of here. Um, it was a little heavy. <laughs> I couldn't really do it, and so I, that just made me more frustrated. Um, so I just sat on the floor, and like, it, what a child, you know? Like, <laughs> there's a sober thought, like, man. Um, but Leah came in. She, of course, she could hear everything that was going on. I'm throwing clothes across the floor. Um, but she came in, she sat next to me, and she said, I love you. I didn't deserve a word of that. Love is a choice, love is a stretch, and love covers a multitude of sins, but it is glorifying to God. The bed is still back there, by the way. <laughs> glorifying God in this way is only possible because Jesus loved us first. Jesus stretched literally across the cross to die for us. And he covered not just a multitude, but the sins of all who would believe. And since we have been shown that great love, now we show great love. So the question is, do you stretch to love others? And how far do you stretch? Point three, show hospitality. Look at verse nine. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The first part of that would have been enough, but... He just added, without grumbling. Be the kind of person who is hospitable and who likes to do it. Don't resent having to be hospitable. Be the kind of person who doesn't look at the extra dishes and all of the time that it's going to take to do all these things and all of the bother and grumble about it. This is glorifying to God because we serve as ambassadors of God's kingdom. Our king, back home, he's hospitable. There will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation in heaven. So we must be hospitable in the same way. To bring in people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This will mean, though, that our idol of comfort and privacy will be put out to pasture. It will be killed. But to glorify God, we must de-glorify ourselves. Which is our tendency and our sin. We show hospitality without any reasons for doing so, without any conditions as to why or why not. And so the question, do you show hospitality? Would people describe you as hospitable? 
How often are you put out in love for another person? It's a stretch, but it's a joy. Point four, serve one another. Uh, If you look back at the text, as each has received a gift, so that's each of us, as each has received a gift, we use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We use what God has given us to serve one another because God's grace is shown through those gifts. How do we know what our gift is? Ask someone who knows you and loves you or start serving. And you'll see as you serve, okay, man, I've got a gift here. But the point is to use it, not simply know what it is. And even if you aren't gifted in one area, it doesn't mean we don't still do it. I'm not very gifted in basketball, but I love to play. And so, soccer, very gifted, but basketball, no. <clears throat> Uh, and some things we're commanded to do, even if we aren't gifted in them. Prayer, proclaiming the gospel. I'm not gifted at doing taxes, but it still serves me well to have them done. <laughs> Maybe you have the gift of prayer. Teach and show mission kids an example of prayer. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Begin teaching in groups. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism. Bring others to, the, to an understanding of the gospel. Maybe you have the gift of wisdom. Let me say this. We need you. Please use that gift for the sake of all of us. Do you know your gift, and are you using it to serve the body? The point is that the body works together to serve each other. The hand serves food to the mouth that helps the whole body function. It makes no sense for the hand to feed itself. It breaks my heart to hear people come and go from the church for selfish reasons. Usually, what we hear is a huge list of problems that people have with the church and no solutions as to how they can help serve. The church is merely here to serve them. That is simply unbiblical. And it glorifies the wrong God because it is not about us. It is about God and his glory and then his creation. Why do we serve each other? Because it's God's varied grace shown through the serving of the body. Like if you have not felt God's grace, it is because us as a body are not serving each other. And if you have not shown grace, it's because you're not using your gift to show God's grace. This is why uh, we structured our mission statement as it is, to glorify God. Glorify God. Our whole purpose, our whole existence will always be that through gospel-centered discipleship, service, and worship. Thank God that there are more important things than you and I. And Peter just breaks down some specific examples for us. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So very specifically, not man's oracles. This shows itself in a few ways here. Uh, We teach expositionally, which means we just teach verse by verse, contextually through books of the Bible. Um, And we choose this. We chose this very deliberately because otherwise we pick and choose texts of the Bible out of their context and thus place our own opinions into the text. We want to speak what God has spoken, not what we want to speak. And 
the same is true. It's like, so for every, uh, every sermon, like all the point, like the main point, you're going to find that in the text. And all of the sub points, you're going to find those in the text. Another way is in discipleship groups or any conversation or any relationship at all, we speak the oracles of God to each other to build each other up. Some of the most encouraging things that I've ever heard have been when somebody calls me and just speaks God's word. Says, hey, I have this verse for you. I... Build each other up in love. We speak the oracles of God in order to do that. And then he keeps going. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We strive to serve by the strength that God supplies because... It's hard to uphold unity with sinners. It is hard to serve on a Sunday morning when it's cold outside, when you know, you've had a bad week. It's hard sometimes. But even more importantly, in order that God may be the only one who receives the glory. Why do we serve with God's strength so that God gets the glory? That's why the rest of the text is as follows. In order that, in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And here we see our purpose. The task of life that is of utmost importance in every act, thought, deed, word, God be glorified through Jesus Christ. And the truth is that there is nothing more meaningful. There is nothing more joyful There's nothing more satisfying in life than to do exactly what we have been designed to do to give glory to God. God's aim in giving us love and hospitality and gifts and all these other gifts to serve others with with, is that his glory might be displayed in us and that others might see it. He wants us and the world to have a proper view of his true glory. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. You and I don't know whether we're going to make it home today. That is just the truth. And no matter what, we're about 25 minutes closer to whatever fate we have coming for us. The kingdom to come is coming soon, and so in the meantime, be watchful for it. Be ready for it. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Love one another. If life is truly this short, why do anything else? Show hospitality to one another. Serve one another in order that in everything God may be glorified. The whole point of this exiled life, of why we are here in, in the exact place that we are in, why God placed us in the family that we're in, why God placed us in the neighborhood that we are in, Everything, the city, the town, is to give glory to God. Because the truth is, the last thing that Peter says here is to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why does glory belong to God? Because it's all his. There is no other being that deserves any glory at all. At the beginning of this letter, just look back with me to uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there is a God-glorifying sentence. Blessed be you, God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are owed nothing, absolutely nothing. Actually, we are owed nothing but wrath. And yet at the cross, Jesus substitutes himself for sinners, and sinners become the righteousness of God. And now we get the amazing privilege of getting to enjoy the glory of God forever. What we fall short of in our sin, we have completely in Jesus Christ. This is why glory belongs to God and no other. And that's why our whole existence is to praise him and to glorify him. God is forever worthy of this glory, so we will forever be able to praise him for it. Our whole existence As sinners, we fall short of the glory of God. I think all of us in the room can feel that at least a little bit. God is holy and he is just and we are not. At the end of our lives, we will stand before him and be judged. We will be judged either on the basis of our own righteousness or the righteousness of another, capital A. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience, of perfect glorifying God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. Jesus has done for us what we couldn't possibly ever do for ourselves. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God needed to be able to go into heaven. And now believers in Jesus will get to stand before the just God and be glorified in him. The good news of the gospel is that our wonderful Savior condescended to earth as a human to save his creation that he created for his glory. And one day, because of the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, believers will see the endless glory of God forever. And if that wasn't enough, that is what we've been designed for. And so we will get to enjoy it. If you're here this morning, you're not here on accident. God has brought you here to, to either hear this gospel for the first time or to be reminded of this gospel. Have you trusted in Christ for the salvation of your soul? The good news of the gospel of Jesus is what we strive to remember so that we may rest in Jesus' finished work to glorify God perfectly. And now we can turn from our utter lack of glorifying him on our own, and now we can glorify God in just simply remembering the most glorious act on earth. Another reason that we take communion every Sunday is because of this. We remember the most glorious act in history. And in doing so, in remembering, in taking communion together, in, in partaking of the Lord's Supper together, uh, it's glorifying to God. Because in those moments we say we admit 
and we confess that our body and our blood isn't going to cut it. We need to be covered in this body and this blood, and that is glorifying to God. If you're a believer, this is your purpose. This is what you've been designed for. You're welcome to the table to partake as a family as we uh, take the Lord's Supper together. But I want to stress that it will not be a a God-glorifying act if you partake as an unbeliever or if you are in unrepentant sin. It is more glorifying to God if you stay in your seat. But if this is you, if you are in unrepentant sin, take this time to repent of your sins by the free gift of grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing there is that God gets the glory when we repent. Because who else but a God-glorifying being says, I'm, I'm turning from myself. And if you're an unbeliever as it sits right now, God will be glorified in his wrath against your sin. And so that means that God will be glorified in his wrath against you. But if this is you, if you would believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to take on your sins and to turn from your sins, to believe in the finished work of Christ, then God's wrath against sin will be on him. And you will get to enjoy the glory of God forever. If you're here and you're worried or scared because you're not very good at glorifying God, be encouraged. Dead men and women do not care about whether or not they're giving glory to God. Press into the Father in this time. And for all of us, here's our prayer. Father, we admit that we are in need of your body and blood to cover our sin of glorifying ourselves over you. Would you, by your grace, Give us the strength to glorify you in everything. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Our whole existence, why we are alive here and now, is to give glory to God. Number one, because it belongs to him. He deserves every bit of it. And number two, as if that wasn't enough. We are designed for it. And when we live in our design according to what God has designed us for, we see more joy and satisfaction than ever. Why is God deserving of all glory? Mostly because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. That yes, we fall short of the glory of God and and what it takes to become a part of this family. Yet you had such grace and mercy on us that you would send your son, that he would step out of glory to be a human 
so that he might save us. Because of that love, God, would you help us to love others? Help us to love one another in the church and then help us to have so much love for those outside the church that we love those in the church even better because we just read that is, that's our apologetic. That's our, what people see is they see our love for each other. So help us to love those outside the church so much that we love and serve those in the body. And then help us to be hospitable. Help us to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Help us to serve. All of these in, in your strength and in your power that you give so freely to us. Not so that we would be saved, but because you have saved us and you deserve it. You deserve all of the glory of every one of those thoughts, deeds, and actions. So would you change us yet again today to look more like your son? Give us hearts that want to love. Break down the parts of us that, that do not want to live according to what you've designed for us. And in all of this, it is all possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we give you all of the praise and honor and glory and thanks. We place our lives completely in your hands. And we say, to you belong the glory, God. Who else? Who else does it belong to but you? Who else do we have in heaven but you? So, Father, help us to believe that. Help us to know that. Help us to believe in the gospel yet again. In all of this, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.